live from the basement of death studio in multiple locations remote around southeastern wisconsin this is playing and slaying random encounter episode one you might be asking yourself what is a random encounter well let me tell you random encounter is when we want to bring you content between our long form episodes so uh buckle up buttercups because the party has left the town of epi 60 and is on their way to the great city of 61 show when they are ambushed by a marauding band of gaming multiverse announcements then they play a game around the campfire and nurse their wounds but before we get into that when you're playing and slaying it is important to stay hydrated welcome to the new short form episode Josh and Troy, glad to be here with you, broadcasting around the world. Awesome. The excitement's all on this side of the table. I like your table. Um, speaking of your table, Josh, what are you drinking? I am drinking an Affy Tapple. Oh, Affy Tapple. Ooh. I like by it. By Phase Three Brewing out of Lake Zurich, Illinois. I've been uh, knocking out some beers in the Illinois region. So yes. for our, our fans and friends and whoever in Illinois, thank you for the good beer. We should play a game where we pick one of them and you see how close you can get to where they are with the breweries and see if you can find out where they live by triangulating with the brewery selections. <laughs> And while I creep everyone out about geocaching breweries and finding our listeners, Troy, how about you tell us what we're drinking instead? I am drinking Cave Ale from Potosi Brewery in where in Potosi, uh, which is I don't know what is that little north of Madison, northeast of Madison. I don't it's remember. Stevens Point, right? Yeah, I think it, it's not quite Stevens Point. I think it's somewhere in between there. Um, so kind of middle-ish western middle yeah western. middle of central wisconsin How we'll, we'll go with central wisconsin and think that's in there so uh cave ale which is an amber ale i have still i noticed i had a bunch in my fridge so i'm like okay we gotta work work these down but it's a really good one excellent i'm uh i'm going a little bit different i got the zoco vesa trace mm-hmm. leches so it's got the Stout brewed with chocolate, coffee, pasilla, peppers, vanilla, cinnamon, nutmeg, rice, and oats. So it's got, I mean, a little bit of everything. But it's like a Mexican hot chocolate uh, stout. And it is delicious. And I'm not drinking it out of the can because I'm not a savage. So I am drinking it out of the BOD. Uh, oh, there you go. There you go. Given to me by Troy. That is a great beer. I'm a big yeah, fan of that beer. That is, yeah. I can. I'm. You're making me. Even though I'm drinking this one, I'm remembering the flavor of that one as you say that. Such so good mouthfeel. <laughs> yeah, it, it's memorable. <laughs> That's what it is. All right. So let's let's get into the random encounter. This marauding uh, band of gaming multiverse. Really, news and announcements. Um, there's. It's been a. It's been quite the week. Uh, when it comes to gaming and and some of the big uh, big players in the the gaming world, um, so I think the first one that I want to touch on is D and D Beyond. Uh, so um, character sheets, the the reference books. Um, company originally had been 
uh, Curse, I think, which then partnered with Twitch and D&D Beyond was shunted off or sold to Fandom. Fandom owned it for three or four years, I think, maybe five years. And they were acquired by Wizards of the Coast for a, just shy of, or just over, I'm, I'm not exactly sure, $150 million cash um, acquisition. And I think they're still working out the details of the acquisition. But, um, I mean, a big splash when Wizards of the Coast, uh, so obviously Hasbro, the parent company, but uh, Wizards acquires yep. D&D Beyond, I think um, makes a lot of sense, you know, when you can circumvent licensing and bring yep. most of the employees in house and then start to use it for perhaps other games, perhaps other, you know, other, other things that they're looking to do with, with D and D in general. Um, but did you guys happen to, to see that or I, I don't know, do any of you use D and D beyond at all, uh, for character sheets or I don't. archives? And, Honestly, for some reason, I had it in my head that this had already happened. So when I when I saw that this happened, I was like, "Oh, uh, I guess I was totally." I thought this happened like two years ago. Um, So either I'm living in the future, or um, yeah, something other craziness is going on in my brain. So. I'm like, yeah, this makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, th- I think that's a common yeah. thought, right? Is a lot of people thought, oh, they're already they're already a part of of right. Blizzard, um, because they are they are really the it's ubiquitous, right? It's not like yeah. they're doing character sheets and stuff for other game systems. They're they're explicitly Dungeons and Dragons content, um, and I mean, I. I'll be really interested to see what changes, you know. But it gives a subscription right. service. Um, to D&D. It'll be interesting to see if they do tie-ins with digital copies of books that you purchase. Um, I think that's one thing that this opens enable, up yeah. an opportunity for is mm-hmm. a now granted they probably get less money if they do that. I don't know. You know, it's if you're charging a subscription when you purchase the book, maybe if you're a subscribed member, you'll get um, access to download the book into your collection. I could right. see that happening. I doubt it'll be free. You right. Know, or, or yeah, reduced price or something else like that. Yeah. Right. Or some kind of, like you said, either a subscription model or something else to let you get that. That, yeah, that would kind of make sense. Maybe there's a code in the back or something or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. To, to redeem or get a discount. Mm-hmm. Uh, who knows? Um, I, I think the, the other thing I saw some, some speculation that this does is it actually starts to pave the way a little bit for wizards and D and D to do their own, uh, virtual table hmm. when you think about yep. um, the licensing that happens with uh, Foundry and Fantasy Grounds and Roll20 um, this gives them a way to have kind of a a, a tremendous kind of launching point for yeah. for doing something with a virtual tabletop if, if they so choose um, you know I mean you know Maybe the next thing we see is they purchase Tailspire or something, you know, like <laughs> yeah. they take one of those AR tabletops and they, they bring D and D beyond in and um as plugins. But like that's exactly my guess what I was is thinking that's, is do they kind of, yeah well do they reach out to, you know, one of those companies to to expand that way, yeah. Yeah. Or roll twenty or whatever. 
Am, am I guess right? There's probably a very there was some financial incentive behind this. My guess is they were they you know they probably knew that this was becoming a very profitable as more and more people kind of moved to online and and playing online and stuff that I'm sure that that the the bosses either in Wizards or Hasbro right said hey it feels like we're leaving money on the table um, and even though they're investing 150 million they must believe they're going to get more than that 150 million back right by by kind of getting you know more control of that stream all the way from, and like you said, they can probably make some efficiencies with not having to do all the licensing stuff. Again, now they they and I think in the past they were trying to probably figure out was digital actually in their core competencies. It probably wasn't originally, right? That's why they yeah. uh, outsourced it. But now I think they just you know the, the way everything's going, it it needs to become a core competency, and the way to do it right is acquire a company that they that they've partnered with and has done it really right. well. So, right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I've dabbled I, because of having roll 20 and purchasing most of the books in there. I, I usually don't do D and D beyond, but like, I know when we're playing, uh, like our frost maiden and, and that group, yeah. Heath, uh, uses D and D beyond for all his character sheets and there's plugins to roll 20 through, through that. So I, I would imagine some of that continues, right? Like yep. that they, they offer plugins to, to those other virtual tabletops until they had their own solution. And maybe even then they still do because licensing is, you know, a way to make some. Yeah. And that's what I, and I do, I like, I have all my, most of my books like that I bought on D and D and D beyond. Like I have a set of most mm -hmm. of them there that I, I bought over the years, whether they have in sales and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't, it felt like it would be more portable for me to do it there than to buy everything in Roll20. I think I have like the player's guide. I have like a couple of the books in Roll20, but I don't have all the expansions, especially as stuff come on. And I just have, like when we're playing, I have basically a window to D&D Beyond open usually. <laughs> my uh, I have that open, my Google Notes document, and then Roll20 right um, to go through. So, What? One other interesting note about that acquisition, right, is I did see the financials for 2021 for Wizards of the Coast. Not Hasbro, Wizards of the Coast. Yep. Revenue in 2021 was $1.3 billion. Yeah, so they had $150 million in cash to spend probably too. They probably <laughs> right. were looking for right. ways to, right, to reinvest that money, right? So Yeah, yep. just huge. Like just huge when you talk about market share yep. and, and the, the amount of, of cash on, on hand. Um, all right, so D&D Beyond acquired by Wizards of the Coast. Um, let's see what the next encounter that we roll is. And it is Marvel Multiverse uh, role-playing game, Playtest Rules, released. Um, so Matt Forbeck, uh, a handful of episodes ago, we had him on to talk about Shotguns and Sorcery, uh, the 5e source book that he worked on with his son Marty and should be arriving some point later this summer, early fall. But uh, this was his next kind of big project, um, taking the Marvel multiverse and, and kind of revamping, creating new, borrowing from some of the, the stuff that has happened before uh, to get a rule set in place. And then they released a playtest version. Um, I think it's about 130 pages. Um, so it's not like full RPG book uh, page count. But um, they're selling it, which is a little different for a play test. You don't usually get that unless it is the the big um, company, like a Marvel. Um, or, you know, I, th I think I remember like Cortex Firefly selling a copy of their play test rules yeah. back in the day. And, you know, you see it happen sometimes, but it's only 10 bucks, uh, And it's available in a couple of different formats. 
Um, I mean, you can go out on Amazon and buy like a paperback. Um, Roll20 has it, you know, already is like a play set and uh, Kindle. And I don't think there's like a different PDF option other than Amazon's Kindle. But um, I yeah, I, I didn't see that. Or, yeah, yeah, I didn't. See, I, my guess is that's just to kind of control. I mean, even though it's only 10 bucks, right? Like that, right. if you once it gets out in a PDF, it's just going to get out. But even, I mean, right. even, I'm sure even the way it is now, it's going to get out, right? In some ways. But uh, I mean, partly if people want to at least support the game, 10 bucks isn't a big ask. Right. And it is, um, I mean, 120 pages, high quality, right? It, I mean, it could be a fin- finished product. So I think it's kind of in some ways yeah. nice that they're kind of saying, hey, th- you know, we, we, we want to get a, a turn to the crank on this thing, get some feedback you know, clean it up. I'm sure, you know, like any first rule set, right. There's probably, uh, some clarifications and, and typos and things like that, that they can go back through and edit and be in the best way to do that. Right. Is to have the crowdsource your, your proofreading in some ways, as good as you do it. I am interested in the mechanic. I mean, I bought it right away as soon as I remembered because I had, uh, again, the Matt Forback, I was on his newsletter and he reminded us and then Ty, you reminded us. And so that made me why it was, uh, I don't know, laying on the couch on from my phone, doing a quick, uh, again, get, get the Kindle version <laughs> down. So, so what, what is interesting too, is it's a 3d six system. Mm-hmm. Um, and it relies on like the best role you can get is six, one, six. And that's like the, the greatest mm-hmm. success is if you're able to, to roll that 13 with a six, a one and a six. Either of you know the relevance of six one six, like in the Marvel. I should, but I'm failing because I don't. Yeah, same. So six one six Earth six one six was where they kind of it, it was the the worst performing Earth in the Marvel multiverse. So like, there's the idea of Earth six one six in the bigger multiverse in every other universe is that was like the worst performing. Um, and it's also usually the one that like is centered on is our universe. And that's, that's why the heroes are needed. And that's why all these villains are there because it, it is in the, the grand scheme of things it needed the most help. I, I think, and I might be butchering that story, but that that's roughly the idea of that, the relevance of that role. So Matt took, took that and made that the, the role that is, you know, on three D six, that's, that's relevant to, yeah. to success and these heroic moments. But um, it looks like it has some cool archetypes, like ability to make your own characters, stats out some like Spider-Man and others. There's different types like a blaster and, um, you know, like the the tech-based, like an Iron Man, uh, like more of the Hulk. Like the I think they're, they might be called brutes or bruisers, I forget. But they kind of create these archetypes for like characters and then apply these different skills and your superpowers. Um, I I haven't looked too much at like how encounters work or much, much beyond it, but I think it would be a lot of fun, at least for a, you know, like a one shot Um, and a couple different groups that I play with. I've dabbled with the idea of either running one or playing in one here in the, uh, in the coming days. Um, But yeah, I, I think that's it, it's great for for Matt. It's a huge title. I yeah. mean, you want to talk about a huge right. like Marvel. I don't know if there's a if there's a universe or a 
a mythos, whatever you want to call it now that is bigger in our current kind of pop culture movement than Marvel. Um, you're hard pressed to find. And, and I think it'll draw in a lot of interested people in Marvel to the role-playing games in general. So I'm also interested to see what the response is like from a, you know, getting people away from the sword and sorcery of Dungeons and Dragons into a contemporary modern superhero game with the appeal of the Marvel multiverse. I mean, that's just a huge, huge right. And, and they, and I'm sure I, right. I haven't, can't remember in the past when they've actually had, when they've been able to line a game up, you know, cause now with, you know, Dr. Strange and the multi, right. Where that whole phase of, of the cinematic universe is really going to be about the multiverse and everything else. So mm -hmm. I think, you know, this is, I'm sure that was very, um, you know, very conscious on their part of to get the timing right. But I don't remember them ever doing oh, that yeah. in the past with some of these other ones that I think, you know, cause I, there was a Margaret Weiss version that was, I don't know what I'm going to probably what, eight years ago, maybe more. Um, that yeah, just Cam, never, Cam Banks yeah, that came back. Yep. That just, that. Yeah, just never really grabbed, I don't think, right? I mean, it did yeah, okay. But Marvel it, heroic role-playing yep. game or something like that. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I mean, I think they tried to get some momentum behind it, but yeah, it just didn't. And I, you know, so I think this one, though, has uh, a little bit more uh, opportunity. Could, yeah, could kind of break through and be uh, a pretty mainstream. So it'd be interesting. It needs to get a really good live stream. That's probably right. That, that would probably be the other, right? Pick find a, right. a good a good group that could do yeah so some whatever a good online well, celebrity you, group. Could that, you imagine if if they got some of their actual A list actors yep. to play like I don't know <laughs> that that would ever happen. Yeah, you know, like yeah, get the Guardians of the Galaxy right. or <laughs> some of the. The Tom Avengers Holland. I feel like Tom Holland would be all about being Spider-Man yeah, in, yeah. in a role playing oh, game. Yeah. But I don't know. A, a, be cool. a boy can dream. A boy can dream. Um, so yeah, just, I mean, first, big congratulations to, to Matt. When, when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's awesome. Um, when the news broke, and then it actually released here in the, the last couple of days. I think it was this week, maybe Tuesday. Yep. Um, and then I don't know, I didn't see the timeline for the actual release, but I'd imagine they'll gather some feedback, but they probably have a, a production release, you know, on, on the heels of this slated for maybe early next year. I, I don't know. Or maybe even longer. D and D ran next for what? Two years. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. We were all like, when we were like, please save us from fourth edition. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I do not. I was just doing a quick. I do not see uh, uh, in the at least the the newsletter that Matt sent out. I didn't see anything about what's the real date for playtest. So I imagine they're giving themselves a little bit of wiggle room. But oh yeah, um, Marvel multiverse role playing game playtest. Um, the next thing talk about big uh, big budget and and gaming kind of colliding. I saw Netflix announced uh, a new show um, and a mobile game launching at the same time for Exploding Kittens. Uh, so a few years ago, I think it was like a $10 million Kickstarter, more than a few yeah. years at this point. Yeah, um, yeah 2015, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah, like six or seven years. Um, uh, the car game was a huge Kickstarter um, success. And now Netflix has uh, in development a adult animation with um, 
So what's the guy that plays Lucifer? Um, Tom, is it Tom Ellis? Tom yeah, Ellis. Tom yep. Ellis. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, Abraham Lim from like The Boys, and then Lucy Liu, Lucy. <laughs> uh, and then another voice actress, Ali Mackey, um, from like Toy Story Four. And so just this kind of A-list uh, voice actors, because I mean Mike Judge and Greg Daniels are like producing um, the show. Like it's it's just it's crazy. Like it's this who's who of of voice acting and animation production. Um, you know, follow the story of like God and the devil come to earth, but they're in cats. That's the whole idea of like the war between cats is, you know, heaven and hell. Um, and so to follow the storyline of the game and then the mobile game, my understanding is that's being released just follows the same classic gameplay, like as the, as the card game itself, but in a, in a mobile version. And I think that's coming in May. I don't know when the show's, uh, the show's coming sometime yep. next year, but the, the mobile game comes in, in May. Yeah. And, and it, Netflix has been doing gaming, which is interesting too. Like they're starting to develop some, um, some mobile and video game content. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, and so I, I just have to take a pause here for a second because Matthew Inman, uh, the oatmeal, uh, and the, the website and, you know, at the oatmeal, you know, he's the one that came up with exploding kittens. And I think there was somebody else that came out, but, um, you know, he started just as like a web comic. Uh, you know, he was he, he's an artist, and you know, kind of went from just and it was a web comic I I looked at regularly. I was always on his website, and he's funny. Like he's he's awesome to see that come from you know what ten, twelve, fifteen years ago, whatever the oatmeal to exploding into what it is today. Like that's just crazy. Like I still think I still think exploding kittens has the record for the most backed Kickstarter, like not number of dollars, but like the most number of people backed. Um, I, See, I think it go. still holds the record. At, after initially seeking to raise $10,000 through Kickstarter, Exploding Kittens raised 8.7 million in 30 days from 219,000 backers. Yeah. Uh, the Netflix press release goes on to say to date, Exploding Kittens is the number one most backed project in Kickstarter history and has sold over 18 million copies of the game, like That's after crazy. the fact. Um, started and then they went on to Xbox do... game designer Elon Lee, Elon Lee, and the Oatmeal's founder Matthew Inman. Yeah. Yeah. And they went on to do like Bears versus Babies and Throw Throw Burrito and You Got Crabs. And they're just like all fun party games, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but just to see a guy go from, you know, just drawing and putting it on the web and maybe monetizing it a little bit to, this explosion, I, I just think it's really, really a cool story. So, yeah, I'm, I, I just think, yeah, anyway, <laughs> it's, it's yeah, fun. It's fun. It's definitely, it was interesting. I, I've played, have you guys played Exploding Kittens? No. Uh, I, once or twice, yeah. Yeah. No, like see, I'm like, I, I'm going to be the tie in this where I, again, all great forum. It's just never grabbed me. And I've actually always right. been like, Really, this is what's making all this money. This is so. I mean, I, that's where I've always been on it. Um, it's kind of funny. Like the the cartoon probably might actually get it sounds mild, you know interesting. Like it might grab me, but yeah. So I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the tie in this one where I'm like really like exploding kittens is getting a thing, but um, and it's just not. Yeah, I don't know why it's just never grabbed me. But yeah, I've I've only played it a handful of times. Um, it was one of those where a, a friend of Josh and mine from when we were growing up. 
uh, had had brought it home for like a Christmas or something. Bill, Bill had bought it on Kickstarter mm-hmm. and played it with with him, and you know, I, I think it was it appealed to that that non like non gamer you know audience as well, and yeah, right. um, exploded in popularity. So, um, always interesting to me though when big big budget studios and things grab a hold of something from our our uh, gaming multiverse and and bring it forward as a you know a big time production absolutely then um the other thing so what uh today actually just this morning um dungeons and dragons did their D direct and it was kind of a live stream preview of the roadmap and what's coming um unlike uh games workshop they actually um, get some quality presenters for D&D Direct and, and talk a little bit more in depth about what's coming. Uh, and they also chose to, to do this not on April Fool's um, and release what most people usually think is an April Fool's joke uh, and, and talk about some of their stuff that's coming, unlike Games Workshop with uh, squats. I feel like I, I got to be tired. I have to defend. <laughs> yeah. I have to defend my thing about. Yeah. I'm just going to go back to your previous comment about how much the difference in size between a uh, Wizard of the Coast and GW. So, yeah, because Wizards releases better games. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I kid. I kid. Um, but so they did the, it was about an hour long. I think the D and D direct, uh, ran lots of people were like live streaming it, commenting on it. Um, ton of like different Twitch presenters and stuff. Um, but I, I think what's really interesting is obviously the, the biggest news I, I would say that came out of, um, out of it was probably Spelljammer. Yeah. So second edition, uh, campaign setting Spelljammer astral plane spaceships crazy creatures just kind of zany like i i don't even want to call it like a fantasy sci-fi hybrid it's like this weird it's spelljammer is just weird where yeah i mean it I mean, it's fantasy it's fantasy in space i mean yeah, yeah true yeah, true yeah. fantasy i mean you can argue that gw is fantasy in space but it's like <laughs> this is true like yeah we're you know completely the ideas and the monsters and it's just really, really, it's, it's so cool. I, it's, I think that's why people were trying to figure out how to bring it back uh, or happy to bring it back and, and happy to see GW do it. And that, that was one that grabbed me. I mean, uh, that was really cool to see that. And then when they showed off all the different, even the different races that they had and the creatures yeah. and, like, yeah. and it's like, well, all right, they're, they're all- releasing, they're releasing it in a really cool way mm-hmm. too. It's not quite the box sets of old, but it, it's three 64-page hardcover books and like a slipcase. So one is like the setting information, one is the monsters like compendium, and then the third is a 12-episode adventure um, that the creative direction was led by Chris Perkins. They brought in a number of writers for it, um, and it's 12 episodes, levels like 5 to 8 or I think five to eight or in that range where it's a condensed, like focused, uh, series of adventures. Um, you know, quality of the books looks good. 64 pages isn't, isn't that big, right? Mm -hmm. Like they're, um, I think a lot of times you'd see that as a soft cover, but it's got a nice fold out map. It's got three really beautiful cover art, um, books. So I, I mean, it, I think, I think it'll do well. Um, I don't know that it'll get played a ton, but I think a lot of people will just buy it to 
to have it from the nostalgia spell jammer um yeah and, and to see like the the reception of it for yeah and i just think as, as a sandbox right it i can see definitely where people are going to mm-hmm. incorporate it into a campaign and just you know you're as some arc of your adventure oh you're going to be yeah. on a spell jammer and go off in the astral plane and you know um yeah and i think yeah like you said it'll probably be a minority of campaigns that are like completely in that setting um but I, th- I can definitely see like people t- taking a bunch of stuff from it because I think it's there's just some really cool, real cool items that are going to be in there and that people are going to be incorporate them. So definitely. So Spelljammer is uh, there's a cool like minute long trailer like r- release video. So they did some cool like animation. They had some really good presenters. Um, but then the the next thing that they and i apologize if i'm not going in chronological order of the the stream but talk about campaign settings um they kind of teased a dragon lance um tie-in for an upcoming adventure book seems like more similar to what they did with ravenloft with like curse of strahd where it's like an adventure book versus a campaign setting um and there's going to be a tie-in with like a board game right for like yeah ta- like a war game like tactical combat um and the the board game did you guys see who they got to design uh that no rob davio rob davio oh really okay oh that's yeah. like so Baker it has a chance so it has a chance to be a really good game and what, what it sounds like is for the because it's around the what is it the dragon war or, or the war yeah. of dragons whatever um that some of the larger battles can be fought in the board game and integrated with your campaign. So like when your heroes get to a certain point where the war is taking place, you would play it out in the board game and integrate it back yep. the result into your your um your role playing. Oh, so now so, you're gonna get me interested. So battle do you guys ever play battle system back in second I did not. first edition? Um yeah, we did exactly again the same it was the idea of mass combat for D D. And we actually, we had done that in our campaign. Like we built up to this big, huge battle and then played it out as a bat using the battle system rules and then kind of the aftermath of, of that. So now, now you've got Very me intrigued because cool. I was actually a little bit lukewarm because that was actually the, the wrap up where it was the last thing they kind of showed was the dragon Lance thing. And I yeah. only watched the, yeah. I did I watched the recorded version, which was only about a half hour. So I think they cut out a little bit of the chatter around it and just kind of spotlighted the highlights. Um, on that. And so I was actually a little disappointed. I don't know what I, because I, at first I thought they were talking about, I thought they were going to do like a Dragonlance animated, like a new animated one or something else like that. Mostly because oh, yeah. the original, because the one that was done was so bad. Um, and so, <laughs> so I think I'm, then this is totally me. Like I was totally thought like, oh, that would be really cool. And then when it wasn't that, I was like, oh, what's this? Right. Um, and I didn't read all the, de- so now I'm a little more intrigued about the board game and um, and I th- again, they're going to sell a bunch of Dragonlance stuff as long as it's decent, I think. So, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, I, I made a joke, I think, in our show notes that the, the only setting now that I have left to, to continue to, to champion is Dark Sun and when we're going to get the Dark Sun <laughs> reboot because that seems to be the only one they, I suppose, Planescape, they haven't really touched either, but. But they're getting, cl- I mean, the, yeah. what was the other, and then they touched on the, and I don't have the name of it, the book that's coming out fairly, that has the different adventures and it. Um, yeah. So, so the, they showcased two of the adventures from Journeys Through the Radiant Citadel. Yeah. I'm excited um, for that. Yeah. Yeah. And 
like they featured the Day of the Dead, the Dia de Muertos uh, themed adventure, and the Caribbean one, and they showcased that a little bit. And that that I think is coming sooner. I feel like that's mm-hmm. a summer release. Yeah, I think that yeah, it's um, pretty imminent. And that sounds really fun. Mm-hmm. Like it, yeah, it's thirteen adventures that can be just pulled and used elsewhere. And and what I think is really great about it, um, and actually we we kind of jokingly referred to to Raph a little bit before the show, but when we talked about diversity and inclusion with him, this is mm-hmm. the first, I mean, so Candlekeep, they did a really good job of getting representation from mm-hmm. women when they did mm-hmm. the Candlekeep adventures. This, they, all 13 authors of the adventures are, are um, people of color, uh, black, Latina, Latino, you know, the, like they're, they're making an effort a conscious effort at wizards, I think to, to focus on inclusion and diversity in, in who their authors are. Yeah. Um, so they have like, you know, Mer- I think, uh, not Mercer, um, Perkins, uh, the other genius DM, um, is still kind of that creative lead, right. And, and working with, um, these authors to pull these titles together. Um, but they're really doing a good job of, of going out and, and getting a, a really diverse talent pool. Yeah, and that represent, representation is key, you know, like um, we get, yeah, see we get, and seeing some of this stuff too, it's like, oh, that sounds fun. You know, this is cool. Like it's yeah, it's different too. Like it's you know, it's it's not so for lack of a better term, vanilla. No. <laughs> you know. Um so yeah, that, that journeys through the Radiant Citadel. Um then they tease the new D D starter set. So yeah. they'd done, um, you know, the, the one with the, was it Icewind Peak yep. or something like that? Or Stormspire Peak. I forget the, yep. the name of it. Um, Stormwreck Isle, I think is what it was called. Well, yeah, the, that, the new that's one. That's the new one. Is, is the old one was Ice. Yeah, Ice. It's right behind me here somewhere. Yeah, it's Ice Peak something. Ice Spire Peak. Ice Spire Peak, yeah. yep. With the Frost frost Dragon. Yep. Um, and before that, Fandelver. You know, Mines of Fandelver mm-hmm. was the first yep. starter set. This one, um, they introduce uh, more digital tools and like a 15-minute learn-to-play video and integration. I'm, I'm sure we'll see something with like D&D Beyond. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> it kind of makes sense right now. <laughs> yeah. Gearing, sure. gearing it also to like a younger audience and like a quick play kind of idea. And they're looking at kind of these tiers of, of play for like, you know, fourth through sixth grade and seventh through ninth, like getting kids into, into, um, Dungeons and Dragons, which is really cool. Um, and only $19, $19.99. Yeah. Like I saw some people whining on Twitter about what that does for other companies trying to do. And I'm like, yeah, I, I get that. Like it's tough when you put a price point that low. Um, as the industry standard, because the production costs and the you know the the return on these isn't great for other companies. But I was like, they they need to. Like, it's a can't. loss. I mean, and they can do it. It's yeah. a loss leader, right? They they yep. know that people are going to buy that, and right. the again because it is it is pretty finite in what it's going to do, right? It's not the complete game. It's not you know it, it is yeah. a, a one step it's a in start rule book, right? An adventure book, soft cover like comic book style page it you know i mean yep five character pre-made characters a dice set and yep there you go but it is usually a really great value for that price point i mean i know the previous one yeah. again was at that same one and I, there was so much cool stuff in there and um yeah that yeah it's it's great to have some yeah dragons of stormwreck isle so can um, i can i hit my big disappointment 
Like, oh, sorry, okay. sorry. Yeah. I like they got all excited. Like this is the one, um, one thing every DM needs, and you're going to be so excited. And they show me some counters with some sticky things on them. I was sorry, like that one. I was and like, really? Yeah. So, like really? Yeah. Come on. <laughs> so here's here's what I will say though. Right? Is it all comes back to being able to find a lower cost of entry because when you are thinking about dungeon masters and needing someone yeah. that's going to buy the stuff to run the game, going to buy the adventures, that's going to have the miniatures, this provides an ability to have those tokens and swap them in and yeah. out at a significantly lower cost than when you look at the cost of even the whiz kids miniatures, yeah. like the dragons are several hundred dollars. Like there there's, there's this cost to get, miniatures to play in some of their other products so that that was the one thing where yes it, it isn't like super cool and awesome for maybe how us as yeah. you know right people of means you know yeah. disposable <laughs> income but if if i was if i was a high school student and i wanted to play with my friends you know like that would be that would be great if i didn't have $200 to get a big dragon and I could just get tokens that I could use on a, a grid paper map. Like it's, it's creating a lower barrier to enter into the space. And I, I think with the digital tools, with the campaign yeah. case, what you're seeing here with this, this kind of wave of releases is they're, they're trying to make it even easier to run the game, to get people yep. doing that because without, without dungeon masters, what does D&D look like, right? Yep. So you've got to keep that new people coming in and, and allow them to. So although yeah. I agree, Troy, it's not something where I, I was blown away and I was like, ah, oh, that's kind of a yeah. bummer. Yeah. Well, I'm I thought, like, yeah, I just, I again, it? it was a little, it was a little over, overblown for what it is. Cause I totally like, I know like, yeah. yes, I totally, it's hitting there. Although I'm a little bit like it. And again, this is, could be right where we are and what we play. Right. Cause it, it, we come from the minute, the miniature world in some ways. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I'm a little bit like, I'd rather, I'm rather going to be theater of the mind completely right yeah. or digital or if i'm going to be tabletop right i'm all in on tabletop right and this is kind of that um mm -hmm. cuz i would never probably be in that middle ground right i would um yeah. i would probably just go yeah we're going to have a you know we're going to have some uh dry erase markers and whatever if we're not going to have you know we're not going to have any miniatures or we're going to do something like that so um but yeah, yeah i mean so i would, good, I would so. just i would have my friend bryce paint dragons secretly and giants to yeah. to put out when we did our in person <laughs> game um <laughs> Yeah. Um, okay. So the, the one last yep. thing uh, about that. So kind of akin to the Spelljammer stuff, they also sort of teased D&D uh, &D rule sets for like other universes. So yeah, yeah. That was, uh, that sounded interesting. Like I, I could see that catching on. Expanding the brand out outside that they could take other IPs like they've yeah. done with magic in that universe beyond approach. And right. Move yeah, that that sounded really fun. I uh, I'd be interested to see what they do with that. Uh, yeah, let's see. We hit on Spelljammer, Dragonlance, campaign cases. I think the starter set, the Radiant Citadel. They did announce a new um, streaming show with kind mm -hmm. of a uh, um, B. Dave Walters, Megan and Todd Kenrick. It was like everybody. Um, Brendan, what's his name? Um, Brendan L. Williams, I think it might be like, um, 
Abria Iengar, the the one who did like Exandria Unlimited, all the I mean, just this massive list of people that would be making yep. appearances on the the streaming show, and it, it blew me away. Um, which is really cool. And then I think the last thing that I, I recall too is they gave us a little more insight into the movie. So we know that this Dungeons and Dragons movie is coming. They set a title, Honor Among Thieves, um, and showed a logo for the film and a release date, March of uh, 2023. So that's the Chris Pine um, D&D movie that, that is supposed to be coming. And they just wrapped shooting, so they've set the release date. You know, it goes into post-production now. But it had been a while since anyone heard other than, yep. oh, there's this movie out there. Um, but Chris Pine and Hugh Grant, Michelle Rodriguez. Um, yeah, it looks like some. I mean, a decent list of things. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. Not going to hold my breath. I'm hopeful. Yeah. Like all, I think we've all gotten yeah. to that point. Where we're like, we're hopeful. Hopefully, it's at least decent. <laughs> like we got burned by the Marlon Wayans T and D movie of the the late '90s or mid '90s. Um, what is cool though is John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein. They did Game Night. I don't know if you guys have seen that one where the couples have their game night, but then like there's a kidnapping or a crime, and they're trying to find out what's happening. Kind of a, a crazy yeah. uh, comedy film that had that was that was pretty good. So, um, and it's set in the Forgotten Realms and Sword Coast. So I mean, it's it's lore and setting that I think a lot of D and D people are familiar with. Um, so we'll see how it does. I'm, I'm hopeful. I really hope that this is, you know, a success because I've always thought D and D could be great for a TV series, for a film yep. franchise. And they always just kind of didn't quite have it. Um, yep. but now I think it's at the point where it's mainstream enough and it's well known enough that you, you will see at least a relatively big box office draw. Unlike Warhammer Plus, where we hide our content behind a paywall. Angels of Death. Oh, sorry. Angels of Death. Sorry, yeah. That's all. Angels of Death. Oh. I, I don't know. I don't want to get a subscription to that crummy service. Oh, to I can't believe show. you're can't believe you're missing out on the best yeah. Blood Angel thing ever. Oh, sorry. Are we still? Oh, we're still talking. Sorry. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and then the uh, the other thing is too. They I think they talked about it briefly. They showed no details, but there will be a spinoff. Um, uh, television series. I don't think they announced network or where that's going, but set in the the world of the film franchise that comes after um, Honor Among Thieves. Yep. And then uh, the other thing they touched on was a couple of the video game licensed stuff, um, which yeah, was the Baldur's, Baldur's Gate, Gate 3 and, Nether, and Neverwinter um, the, expansion. The Dragon expansion for Neverwinter. Yeah. Um, but it, it, I mean, it was worth watching. There's plenty of write-ups too. Um but some of the videos really good. Uh, some of the commentary was interesting. Um, it was a cool, it was a cool program to kind of see them. Uh, they've done like the D and D live stuff in the past, but this I think was the first one that they called direct. And yep. the idea was this was like a direct to the fans. You know, here's what's coming. Yeah, yeah. I thought this is yeah again. And I think the like I said, I watched the recorded version after, and they edited down. I think the hour long streamed about twenty eight minutes, and so it's really consumable, and you get all the. The highlights and, and even that I fast forwarded through the things I didn't <laughs> I, well, I didn't yeah. care about and so it was easy at 20 minutes to kind of get through I was doing some other stuff so yeah very cool so that I think is the the random encounters and then we want to talk uh we're not going to do a full game review we're going to keep it short but we got together and played um not a new game uh per se but a new game to us 
took it out of the shrink wrap and unboxed it, which is always a fun part of playing and then learn the rules together. Uh, the Ancient World uh, game, Red Raven Games, Ryan Lockett does everything. Art, <laughs> story, game design, layout, rules, right? I mean, it's like a one, one-man band. I'm sure he has a number of people that work and do stuff for him, but he, he, he has a tendency to really have his fingerprints all over the projects there at Red Raven, his, his company. Um, and I, I don't want to talk too much ab- about it. I'd, I'd like to hear from you guys, but general concept is you are an empire. You're a, a civilization that is trying to build out and expand um, while uh, defending yourself from uh, these titans that appear in the world to, to wreak havoc. And you have to kind of balance your expansion and your military and your resources to be able to effectively hold them at bay while still also taking actions to improve your your scoring, collecting these banners for your civilization to score out for victory points at the end. Um, but, I mean, what would I, Euro-style action placement um, resource management? Not yeah. really a yeah. deck builder, but a tableau builder. Resource collection, too, a bit. Yeah, like... Um, and, and almost a, a, a tiny bit screw your neighbor um, with, you know, certain cards come out, and if you play first or play last, can kind of determine, like, you know, it, yeah. the person that plays first really needs military, and a great military card comes out, um, you know, they have first dibs, so... Yeah, I mean it's it's that it's that limited interaction you get from those Euro style games, right? Where it's, right, yeah. it's more about blocking versus like direct attacks or you know stealing from. It's it's kind of manipulating the turn order and the action spaces to um, to to interact. I, I think the one thing that we didn't really do, but it could be interesting in effect gameplay, is if you sniped your opponent's titans. So like if you had mm, yep. gone out and taken that from them because because i think there's some pretty significant victory points when you look at like what the titans allow you to accumulate especially late game um yeah although i mean as we were trying i again it was early play on the right but then we were just trying to because you had to right except for the first turn right you all you always had this titan that you had to deal with at some point during your turn and you have this worker placement limited resources kind of thing so you're always trying to like plan your strategy like okay i got to make sure i have enough left that i can take out my titan <laughs> um yeah. to do that so yeah it would be interesting yeah that balance between cuz if you take somebody's titan out yeah they're not getting the reward but now they also have resources that they can spend to do other things, right? It's I, there's so many interesting, mecha- you know, kind of trade offs, and you know, it was really hard to. I think it it was also hard to tell like who's really like we were, it was all pretty tight, right? I think in the end, all our points yeah. ended up being really, really tight. But you couldn't really. It was hard to tell a little bit. I think we could tell a little bit like where who was doing kind of doing well and not. Yeah. But yeah, um, even though the banners are public information, right? Like you yeah. see what people are accumulating, yeah. but. um it's very hard to decipher. There's no scoring track. There's no like, there's no real idea. And you're taking roughly the same number of actions and turns. Um, Right. So even though it's not hidden information, yeah, it, it, it was difficult to kind of like, 
all right, what's Troy doing over there? What's Josh yeah. doing over here? <laughs> yeah, I mean, and- Ty and I definitely thought Troy was winning, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, halfway through the game. Mm-hmm. He, he was sort of running away with it, and we're like, oh, yeah, he's he's got this in the bag. And then when scoring came out at the end, it was a lot closer than I anticipated. Well, it came so. down to a tiebreaker for you two. Yep. That's it? right, yeah. You your, banner, your banner totals on victory points were the same, and then it came down to, like, coins or whatever the, yep. the tiebreaker right. was yep. yeah then and you I weren't too far off either like you were right behind us so i was i was closer than i thought i was um yeah i struggled there at the end i couldn't kill my last titan yeah and you and i think josh where you're you're i want to call it a makeup mechanic but you late in game there were some multipliers and bonus cards that you you ended up playing that that kind of pulled you tight where i didn't take advantage i didn't have advantage or the ability to grab those um yeah because yeah. and that's what kind of really tightened things up because i was kind of i didn't i ended up with not a lot of bonuses um as it worked out so yeah and an interesting around somehow again i it as you dissect it right like even there, there was ways like you have so many workers but there was ways to get extra workers but it actually almost didn't feel like extra workers were that big of an advantage like it wasn't like there's some games like i'll Lords of Waterdeep, right? Getting that extra extra action really seems like it gives you a huge advantage. Yeah, well, in this it didn't. You gotta feed them, right? Yeah, right. There was yeah. balancing mechanics, and then and and even then there was a lot, especially late game, right? Where like we would like you weren't there was turn like there was actions you kind of saved for the end just to kind of like oh I'm gonna clean up this or get you know heal I think so you could heal your lands and things like that, um, not to buy. So it didn't feel yeah. It's like the actions were definitely minimal, and you wanted to conserve them, but um, it wasn't at, that wasn't the tightness. It was almost the actual resources you were trying to get was the real thing that was limiting across. So, yeah, interesting right. game. Lots of real good interactions, and I think I think like uh, so we played Imperium at the Weekender, the card game building empires, which is one I definitely want to like play again because I I think like that game. This one is another one that there's multiple tracks to to victory or to to success if if not victory that i want to like play it again what what about you guys we're not going to do like a player to slay it but is this one you'd you'd bring back to the table i think the next playthrough will also be significantly like quicker right right yeah i would like to play it again i so you're talking about the extra workers i didn't take any extra workers so i still had i had the original three you guys both had i think five right at the end um, uh, i think yeah. so, so yeah. And and yeah, having like kind of to your point, like having having done it that way, I'd, I'd like to try to play it again, getting the five workers and see how yeah. that changes the game for me. You know? Yeah, I mean, I I always had to use one of them to generate the ambrosia, so the the nectar, of the gods that you could use for other other actions and things to either get another action or to to feed them because I didn't have enough in my empire row, like the districts or the the locations to support my my population so i was always like trying to scrape together enough to feed them so i wouldn't lose the points or fall behind if they if they became starving uh, workers because i don't want to be that kind of that kind of emperor i'm kind and benevolent yeah and i so i i definitely i liked it a lot it was good it was interesting you brought over Lost Runes of Arnak also that night yeah. as the two. And I do, there's a little, there's a lot of parallels between them, I think. Um, and what's in, uh, yeah. but I think the, the, you know, 
Ryan Lockett, the gameplay here is more, I'll just say more elegant. Like it, there's similarities there, but the way he does some of the things we've talked about and these subtle kind of balance factors and things like that, I think the gameplay of, of Ancient World is, a little, is more elegant. I kind of like, I like the theming in Lost Ruins of Arnak a little better. And uh, it's completely different. Like the artwork here is great too, but I, I like the, I, I can kind of buy into the theme of Lost Ruins of Arnak. You're definitely adventurers and going through and some of that. Uh, on there so um they're similar but de- kind of hit scratching two different things on some of that and i do like them both yeah. more than imperium yet um again i think maybe it's just because imperium is just a card game like there, there's this again has a lot more visual appeal it feels like um yeah i mean Im- yeah. imperium's just a, a deck builder yep. uh, uh but not just a deck De- builder. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's a lot going very, on for a deck like, builder there's a lot of complexity <laughs> yeah um yeah, I just I, I really like Imperium. I, I like all the the games we mentioned: Imperium, Lost Ruins of Arnak, Ancient World. Um, you know, when we when we think Ancient World, what made me draw the the comparison to Imperium is empire building, right? Civilization building that that idea yeah. of what what you're trying to do: warfare, feeding your people, like yep. creating an engine to to run to make your um, civilization better than better than your neighbor. Yeah, so definitely good. And an older, like you said, it's an older game. I think it released in 2014 when I was looking at it here. So I didn't realize it was well, this, even that this, old. This, so. this was the second edition. Second edition, okay, which came out. Which later. was new at the last Gen Con okay. that I went to. So 2019, mm-hmm. I think, is where he had released the second edition. edition. Um, and that had like the, so we had the blocks instead of the cardboard tokens yeah, and like the the coins. The ambrosia was plastic instead of like cardboard. Yeah. So. Yep, that'll always get components will always get me too. So yeah, you having the upgraded components is pretty cool. <laughs> that was the ancient world um, by Ryan Lockett and Red Raven Games, and I think unlike most episodes where then we go tell you what we're hobbying and what we're kickstarting and reading, this is Random Encounter, and that that does it for us. Uh, so we will. Um, enjoy any feedback but hopefully everyone enjoys the shorter format we'll be back in a few weeks with a full episode uh and then we we plan on mixing these in as as things come up we might focus on hobby for one of them we might focus on um you know the the upcoming weekender for one of them who knows what we'll do um but we'll try to keep it contemporary and and fresh topics a little different than the usual banter in in future random encounters um, any final thoughts, Josh or Troy? No, it was good. It was good to uh, good to chat. Lots of exciting things going on, and uh, that's why we wanted to get these things out here a little more timely. So awesome! Uh, always always happy to chat with you two guys. This is again, it's not much different than what we would do normally when we get together. <laughs> we just right. happen to roll the cameras right. and turn the mics on. So yeah. All right. Well, as usual, I won't go through the full spiel because if you're listening to us, you know where to find us. But hit us up on Twitter at Play and Slay and Show. Send us emails. Drop some comments on on the website or, or wherever you may uh, download and, and listen. Um, and in the meantime, keep the dice rolling. Drinks on ice. And no matter what, keep playing and slaying.
by Mortarian's Wings. This is Random Encounter number one. I don't like that narrator voice. <laughs> oh, wait, I got one more. I got one more. I got one more. <laughs> hey, uh, hey, guys. What? What's going on? You left me outside the tower. Let me in. Where's that? Where's that? Come on. I can't hear you.